Amen. And praise God how every single one of those songs are, are a perfect reflection of what we're going to see, the truth we're going to see in Psalm 37 here this morning. Well, I want to start by offering you basically a softball question here at the very beginning, okay? When was the last time you used the word fret? All right, fret. I'm not talking to the guitar players like Jamie over here. Um, just all the rest of you. When was the last time you ever used that word? You know, I, I was thinking about it, all right? Like, is it, is it when you read Pride and Prejudice in high school? Like, I, that's all I got. Like, I can't think of another time when I, I used that word. Uh, but the word fret is one of those words that we don't use very often. Uh, you know, we, we have a feeling we know what it means, but we don't really use it very often. Well, Psalm 37 starts off uh, of 40 verses in this psalm, but we start off with this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And we know what envy means. So it says, do not be envious of the wrongdoers. Yeah, we got that. We don't like to talk about envy very often, but we know what it means. Fret is one of those words. We have a decent notion, but it's a little hazy at the same time, and we rarely ever use it. So you can call this the dumbing down of America, where we just take a concept and we put all these big ideas under maybe a couple words like anxiety or fear. And then those words, hence, like lose some of their meaning. They get a little muddied because everything just falls in there. And we lose the nuance of words like fret. And I'm not here to restore the, uh, the 18th century strong vocabulary of our country. Like, that's, that's not what I'm here for. That's not my job. My job is to preach the gospel to you. We're in Psalm 37, but for you to really understand the whole power of this passage and the meaningfulness of this passage for us today, we got to have a refresher on this word, the word fret. So please join me in Psalm 37. And uh, this word perfectly identifies and relates with what we are facing in our country today. In reality, fret is all the rage in America right now. And I say that with pun intended, okay? All we have for the context of, of this psalm, Psalm 37, is verse 25. In verse 25, David says here, he is old. So, so David is writing this as an old man towards the end of his life. He's experienced the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. He writes Psalm 37 to impart some wise words about resting in perplexing times. And this psalm doesn't read like most psalms do. If this was a proverb, I don't think anybody would bat an eye. It, it sounds like a proverb. It really does. But is the way he breaks this down, there's, there's two main sections. There's verses 1 through 11 where he presents his case about fretting. And then there's the rest of the chapter. There's verses 12 all the way through 40. And this is where he proves his case. Okay, so really, everything he says, the whole message is encapsulated in the first 11 verses. And then verses 12 through 40, it's just proof after proof after proof of what he's talking about. And I would say verses 12 through 40, they kind of sound a lot like me when I'm having one of those conversations with my wife, Julie, where we're having a discussion and I'm trying to, like, convince her of something. 
and I just say the same thing, like five different nuanced ways over and over again. I keep coming at it. This is not one of the best qualities about me, I'll tell you that, especially in my marriage. So you don't probably want to meet lawyer David, but, but that's kind of like just the angle of like, oh, yeah, well, I, I'm going to say it another way. And I'm going to say it another way. It's bad when you do it in your marriage, but it's good when the Holy Spirit does it here to provide clarity like we have in Psalm 37. But I say all that to say we're not going to cover every single verse but I'm, you're not going to miss anything. Like, I want you to read this whole chapter on your own, but we're going to focus on verses 1 through 11 because this is where David lays out five specific moves that you and I need to make to get past fret. This is an antidote to fret. There's five specific ways that we do that. So there's only one thing left before we dive in. Let's define this word. I've built it up, right? What, what, what do you really mean? Is it like, oh, fret not, little one? Like, and just give a pat on the back and go on your merry way? Is, is that what we're talking about when we're using this word fret? Well, there's a lot packed into this Hebrew word. It literally means to burn in anger. So it's like a low simmer. It, it has this idea of a bunch of little fires that fume into disturbing resentment in your soul. So pretty much the opposite of patience and gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, we have this concept, and the original language is also where we get the root of the concept gnawing away at something. Uh, so with this low-burning fume that's constantly simmering, not being put out, the original Hebrew conveys the idea of a gnawing hunger. Over time, it just eats away at you until you are devoured with disgust and indignation. So... This is something also that you allow to happen. You make the decision to fret. So here's the definition. I'll throw it up here on the screen for you. It's choosing to allow the wickedness around you to gnaw away at your own soul. That's what we mean when we really use the word fret, when you really get down to it. And the text makes it clear. You, you can't just turn this off. Um, there's actually some things that you need to replace it with. All right? It's an imperative command, do not do this to yourself, but it goes deeper than what people are doing to you. This is how you react to them. So we can't let their problems, which we can't control, start controlling us. All of those things play into fret. I hope you see how rich this word is. But let's just be real. Right now, people around us in the world, they are consumed with fret. I mean, you hear it all the time. Look at what this politician didn't do for me. Can you believe this group of people did this to my segment of people? I'm not going to let them change this over my dead body. You got people angry and perturbed. Angst is built up. Has anybody heard any of that lately at all? Can you just give me a head nod if, if I'm the only one who's hearing this stuff out there? Fret is choosing to allow the wickedness around you to gnaw away at your own soul. And this is what David, as an old man, is saying, look, you can't let this take part. You can't let this poison your heart and, 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 and grab onto you. This is the reactionary world that we live in. They do have fret. But we should know as Christians, we aren't supposed to react. Instead, we are supposed to act with love. You see the difference there that we need to be having? This is how we stand out. According to this psalm, Again, you can't just turn it off. You have to put on something else. 
And the power of being consumed by little fires that gnaw your joy and your peace is so strong that you can't just move on your merry way without replacing it. So here's the full antidote. And that's where we're going to see the five specific actions that you need to replace it with. Fred and envy go hand in hand. And many times in the present here and now, um, you can look at the crowd that is doing their own thing. They're living for themselves. And they have, they have more entertainment. They have more fun. Their appearance looks better. Versus, verse 2 and throughout this whole chapter, what Brian even talked about reminds us of their end. But look at verse 2 again. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Verse 12 says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. So we're going to lay aside the wicked for for a minute here, for for a little while. And I want to focus now on those of us in the room who do know Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're desiring to walk with Jesus. How do you defeat this clear and present danger of letting your soul get poisoned by the wickedness that is around you. Um, and I know, I know no one wants that. Even the people who don't claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ don't want that to happen. But you're going to see in this text that if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be really hard not to be affected by these kind of things. About, about the world system that's around you. So you're going to need to know Jesus by, by the end of this for sure. But let's look at this fret antidote, and the first step is verse 3. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. First part of the fret antidote, number one, trust in the Lord and do good. I told you there are five of these. They're all very important, but this first one is the glue that holds the rest together. And trust is not the same thing as belief. A lot of times we just equate those two things, but it's not, it's not the equivalent, all right? Trust is the fruit of faith. Salvation is a gift that comes by grace through faith. You need to realize that you have been granted faith by God. It's a gift that you didn't earn. And the more your faith in God grows, the more you believe in him and see him move, the more you know him, the more you will trust him. That's just the way life works. You can't fully trust anyone until you know them. I mean, you think about that, right? A business. I mean, how do you, do you trust a business that you just don't know? I mean, there's, there's a lot of businesses that will do anything to make an extra buck, right? I mean, we got, they pump sugar in all of our foods to make us buy more of it. Like, how can you really trust all these people out here without knowing them? Do you trust the news media without knowing their worldview or their presuppositions? Do you trust churches to automatically make the right choices before you know them? I hope not. Do you trust that guy who became your boyfriend before you knew him? I mean, I could go on and on and on all day. But trust comes once you believe that someone is trustworthy. And once you see their true colors, then you can start trusting in them. And if you don't want fret to gnaw away at you, and the darkness around you to poison your spirit and take away your joy, you have to start trusting God. It's the first step. So don't worry about what others are doing. Don't even worry about that. Just just worry about yourself. Do good and dwell in the land. This is talking, I mean, just make the next right choice in your life. Trust in God. He is good. He has promised to take care of you. 
And this phrase, dwell in the land, uh, and befriend faithfulness, this is some of the most difficult Hebrew to interpret, and different English translations that you have in front of you are just all over the place on this. But this has the idea of feeding on faithfulness and finding safe pasture. You find this by trusting God. So you may be right now walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but you can keep your head up. You can trust God because he will never leave you or forsake you. He's walking with you. And as we saw last week in Psalm 30, 34, he encamps around all those who fear him. That's, that's someone to trust in. The question you need to ask yourself is, what are the barriers that are holding me back from trusting God? Is there something else you're trusting in? Is it, it could be something good. It could be your career, family success, your passion. Hopefully everything you're trusting in is a good thing. But if you're trusting one of those fill in the blank, other things are so deep, so profound that they overshadow your trust in God, you're going to be in trouble. And what is the root of all of these other things that we put our trust in? You know, you, you name it, your career, your hobby, your family's past success, or, or your family's future aspirations. What do all these other things that we put our trust come down to? It's actually you, okay? If you boil it all down, every single one of those other things are, I'm trusting in myself here, and I'm going to pull myself up with my own bootstraps. I'm going to make it happen. And this is where we really, to really get into this, you need this. You need to understand the biggest threat for you in your life, trusting in God. I've thought a lot about this this week. It's you. For me, it's me, myself, and I. I'm the biggest threat. All of these things I can put my trust in instead of God. I can put my trust in my bank account, my personality, my education, but it all goes back to yourself. And it's the same for all of us. Now, you may think, wow, this is getting a little negative here, David. Like, whoa, like you're blaming it all on me personally, <laughs> as in it's a problem that I got to fix within myself. Where are you getting this? Well, there's another proverb that sounds super, super similar to what we just read. And it's Proverbs 3, 5, very well-known verse, I might add. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is saying in this area of trusting God, you can be your own worst enemy. But David, how could that be? How could I be my own worst enemy? Well, who does the most talking to you? Who talks to you the most? Yes, it's yourself. This is where the self-inflicted decision can come in of fret. To really trust God, this is what you need to do. You have to stop listening to yourself, and you have to start speaking truth to yourself. It's exactly what we have to do. When we just listen and listen to, and just talk, you know, oh, I'm, oh I'm, I'm doubting this, I'm fearing this, like what if this happens? Anxiety builds up, all these other all these other negative things start happening to us, right? You have to stop listening to yourself, and you have to start speaking truth. You know, this is who God says I am. 
This is what he has promised me. This is what he's done for me in the past. This is what he's revealed his character to be in his word. He has called me by name. He has a plan for me. So stop listening to yourself. The inevitable things of fear, anxiety, your expectations won't be met. Your faith is depleted. Stress morphs into depression. But then when you stop doing that and you speak truth to yourself, something else happens. And you remember our spiritual warfare series. We define spiritual warfare. It's a battle for truth in your mind. Compare and contrast your thoughts that you're having with do these line up to what I know to be true from Scripture? What I know God has revealed about himself, what God has told me is true about me. And did you catch that it all again goes back to what you know about God? That's huge. You can't trust someone until you know them. But when you start speaking truth to yourself and you know the truth about who God is and who he says you are, then you are ready to start trusting in the Lord with all your heart and not leaning on your own understanding because you're leaning on him. And we have to get there. If you're still having a hard time trusting me on this, look at the next couple of verses. All right? Because we have more antidote to go. But look where verses 4 and 5 are directed. Delight yourself in the Lord and commit your way to him. So defeating the soul-sucking poison of fret that gnaws away at your heart starts with trusting in God Trust God, it starts with getting your eyes off of yourself, and that's exactly where we're going with part two, which is point number two. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a very personal verse for me. I just want to say, uh, I was thinking about, the, I've, I've always loved Psalm 37, 4, ever since I was like 22 years old. Uh, before I met Julie, I met Julie when I was 26, I was, you know, the, I had a few years there, like three years after undergrad, where I was in seminary. I was working all these jobs, but I was not getting the desires of my heart, okay? I wanted, I wanted to find a woman that I could live the rest of my life with, and I hadn't met Julie yet, okay? And it was not easy. Everybody around me was getting married. They were getting great jobs, stepping into the position that they had gone to school for. I was stuck in Greenville working for a landscaping guy in an insurance agency. I was doing all these things that I didn't want to do just to make ends meet. I was still pursuing Jesus, but I wasn't getting the desires of my heart. And when I really meditated on this verse and, and, and God used this verse in my life, I realized that, you know what? The number one thing that I need to worry about isn't finding this next person, isn't, isn't figuring out what I'm going to do with my career. It's delighting in the Lord first and foremost. Make my relationship with Jesus my number one delight. And when you worship Jesus, you put him on the throne, you make him your God, truly, in every sense, and you worship him, you delight in him first, something starts happening. It starts changing the way you look at life. And his desires actually become your desires. And then he gives you the desire, desires of your heart. Do you see that? It, I mean, we can get this so backwards. We naturally think, all right, I, I want this. I want to go for this. And I'll, I'll delight when I get it. And then once you get this thing, then yay, I can delight in that. And thank you, Jesus. That's great. You got me what I wanted. How often does that work out for us? Really? It starts with delighting in him first, getting to know your Savior, having a relationship with him. It doesn't matter. You know what? I might not get married. You may not get married in, in 2020. I mean, it's not looking good for 2020 to have a marriage unless you already have it in the books, right? 
Um, at this point, I mean, it's going to probably have to be 2022 unless you somehow miraculously meet somebody, you know, despite all the social distancing things going on. Like, it's, it's tough times out there for single people. I get that. But no, you might, have, it might, you might have to wait on that. But you can make your desires his desires when you get to know him. That starts changing your heart. And you're delighting in him. And then all of a sudden, wow, he is giving me what I, what I wanted to do. Because I want to do what he wants me to do. So this verse has been huge for me. But um, it carried me through a dark time. Changed the way I looked at life. But we all need this. We all need to delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you can sometimes get a desire that happens immediately that gives you, that, that gives you some temporary relief, and it will mask fret for a little while. But there is no substitute for delighting in the Lord and making Jesus Christ your number one relationship, worshiping him above everything else. That's the second piece of the fret antidote. If your, if your desires of the heart are first, you'll never delight in the Lord. But if you delight in him first, you're going to get it. And um, no matter what is happening in the world around you, he will never leave you or forsake you. He's going to be there. We always have him. So here's the third point, verse 5. This flows directly out of trusting and delighting. You're removing yourself from the place of number one. You're investing in your relationship with your Savior, the true king, putting him in the proper place. And now verse, now verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So we've already seen trust in this passage. And this one is a trust of commitment. I'm going to depend on him. See, we can... We can rise and fall on our own, but you can just rise and never fall when you are relying on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll temporarily fall, but you'll get right back up. This is how David describes it in verses 23 and 24. If you turn over there with me. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So we're obviously going to make mistakes. We're going we're gonna to trip up. We're going to go through these dark times. We've seen that in psalm after psalm after psalm all throughout this series. So it doesn't mean that you're never going to have hardship. And even if you blow it and you face some of the consequences, his mercies are new every morning. Right? So he gives grace upon grace upon grace. And he will act for you. Trust in him and he will act. How does he act for you? He's, he's a defender. He's a provider. He is a giver of all good gifts. He acts with love. And this is what we have to remember when we're going through all these things. He loves you with a perfect love that can't get any greater, could never be any less. No matter what you do, his love for you is not dependent on how well you are doing right now. He loves you despite the mistakes you make. And he is going to be there for you in good times and bad times. So don't commit your way to climbing the ladder. All right? Don't put your commitment and your trust in armies or chariots. Please, whatever you do, don't put your trust in politicians. If we've learned anything throughout the history of mankind, it's that. We can't do that. Where do you need to put your trust? Now, here's another one. This is where it kind of gets 
a little bit close to home, quite literally. But what if you're putting all your trust in your mom or your dad? You know, I have great parents. They've made mistakes. They've let me down. We have a lot of good mom and da- moms and dads in this room. But are you always going to make the right move for your kids? Of course not, right? What if you put all of your commitment, all of your trust and dependence on your spouse? Hey, I hope you have a close relationship with them. I hope you are learning and growing in trust and and dependency and you're becoming one. But if you put everything on their shoulders, they're going to eventually collapse because they're going to do in in your mind. Because they're going to do something that hurts you. They're going to do something where you you feel like they failed you. That's too much of a load for them to bear. They can't be the God of your life. We have to trust in the Lord. We have to commit our ways to him. Commit your way to the Lord. That's no turning back. Trust in him and he will act. And then look at verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. As sure as the sun, he is going to be there. And remember how this was all set up back in verses 1 and 2. Fret not yourself of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. The antidote for the darkness that is around you that gnaws away at your joy and contentment is to get your trust and your dependency off of yourself, off of everyone else around you, and hop on God's shoulders and let him carry you forward. That's where we have to go with this. In the book of Psalms, in every single one of these Psalms that we've had so far in this series, has been so perfect for what we need right now. It's been a reoccurring theme every week. But what is the valley exposing about you? The hard times. People truly are being exposed right now about what's going on in their heart. And we were talking about this with a few of the men. We, I prayed with half a dozen guys this morning. and We were, we were just talking about what's going on. And, and the reactions that we get in the workplace, even. You know, this week, I was, uh, I was, I was with my boys. We were, we were like, we were actually looking at the new G.I. Joes that are coming back. I don't know if any, any, any child of the, of the 80s, early 90s, is as excited as I am about G.I. Joes coming back. We were looking at these, so like, I can't wait to buy these for my boys and play with them. It's going to be great. Um, as we as we were looking at that, we were we, we stumbled upon a Mandalorian action figure that was fifty percent off, but you couldn't order it online. It was only in store pickup at the Greer at the Greer Walmart. So yeah, yeah. So we're like, oh, we got to get there. The boys are like, let's go now. I'm like, oh, we can't go now. We got supper. Like, oh, I'll go first thing in the morning. So I go there. I'm sh- I mean, I'm giving you way too many details here, but I, I'm going into Walmart. To, to see if they have this. I warned the guys, it might not be there. It might be gone already. And, uh, and they happened to have the door closed off, uh, one, of the, one of the entrances and exits. Okay, no big deal. I'll walk over here. I walk. You know, it's a long walk. It's, the sun is baking down on you. You're walking all the way across the parking lot. It's fine, whatever. Walk in. They didn't have it. It was sad. But, you know, it's okay. Delayed, uh, delayed gratification is something every kid has to learn. I'm thinking about it. It's, it's going to be all right. We'll find one eventually. Um, but as I'm walking out, this lady behind me gets on her phone. They called me a Karen because I was upset because they shut the door. And she just starts going off, um, so angry, yelling at people. Like, it was just the ugliest thing ever. I'm like, oh, my word, my son is handling this better by not getting a toy. 
And, and here she's upset because she has to walk across the parking lot. Like, what? It, it just reveals, like, people are so upset about the things that are going on in the world around them that they're just losing it half the time. We see it in public, public breakdowns, right? So what does the valley reveal about you? What is it revealing? Um, there's a lot of things that are coming out of people's hearts right now, but you have to ask, what's coming out of my heart? Is it anger? Well, there's things to be angry about for sure, but do I have disgust for people that I don't even really know, that, that probably don't even know Jesus? Are you thinking about the fact that, hey, these people are spiritually blind, and as tensions escalate all around us, people are showing their true colors, they're showing what they trust in, what does it say about you? You have to answer that. And verse 7 gives us the, it gives us the fourth part of the fret antidote. It's the exact opposite of what the raging world around us is doing, um, and it's the way to grow in trust, okay? Catch this. It's, this is a really good one. These keep building off of each other. But four, part four is be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Look at verse seven. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So we sang it a little while ago. Just be still. Be patient. Wait on him. He will act. He will move. So, so a- answer this. Like, what are you doing when you patiently take a deep breath, sit down, and allow someone else to fix your problem? What are you, what are you doing there? You're not charging ahead. You're not trying to fix everyone else's problems on your own. Again, this is a highlighter of who you're putting your trust in um, because you feel like I don't have to control everyone. I don't have to solve every problem. I mean, do we really think that that getting on social media, spamming videos is going to fix the problems that we see? Or do you think the way that you can actually help solve the problem is by having a genuine conversation with someone that starts from, hey, I've already invested in a relationship with them, and I know this person. And, and you know, we're, we're going to sit down, and we're going to have a face-to-face conversation where something comes up, and we can share what I've seen, what I've learned, what my experience is, something that I've picked up from the past. That's how people change their mind. It's not over the yow-yow that we see online out there. We got to avoid that stuff. I love it when I see this in the life group setting. When people gather in home, we're eating food, and we're talking about something that's going on in our life, something we need prayer for. Guys are giving advice. You know, it, it's, it's great. And, and those are the time when you have deep conversations where you can actually learn things and grow. I see the same thing on some of the serve teams. When we're setting up the stage, when, like, all, these things happen in our church body, and it's a beautiful thing. But you have to say, how does being still before the Lord, waiting patient for him, how does it help me grow in trust? I don't know if you realize this or not, but patiently waiting does not equal getting worked up, pacing back and forth, burning inside until you stand up and just yell enough. All right? That's, that's, that's not it. And rush off to do something in haste. 
that sounds a lot more like fret, right? It's exactly like what fret is. If you are making the choice to be still and to patiently wait, you're going to be doing three things. You're going to be speaking truth to yourself instead of just listening to your doubts. We talked about that. You're going to be, number two, meditating on his promises. And then three, you're going to remember how he has come through for you in the past. You can't do that if you don't sit still and wait patiently. If you're just trying to fix the problem yourself right now, you're not going to have a chance to do that. I hope these things sound familiar. That's exactly how we described growing in trust. To be still and wait patiently means you cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It means you are waiting on the Lord to act in love. And if our life is just all about what we desire, what we crave, and when we don't get what we delight in, what we want to delight in in the moment, we're not going to have any of this. You're not going to be sitting still and waiting patiently. I mean, if you look at our culture today, I mean, what happens when somebody's waiting in line? I mean, you could be waiting to get your oil changed. You could be waiting wherever, like the dentist's office. Nine out of ten people, what are they doing when they're waiting? They're just pulling out their phone and scrolling through. And I mean, we don't, we don't even let ourselves, like, relax. We don't ever let our minds just rest and kind of pause, take a deep breath, and reflect and think. I mean, I say we don't ever. I don't mean that. I know some of you do. But my point is, are you always filling your mind with the next thing, the next headline, the next status update, to where you can never get a chance to just sit back and wait patiently for him? That's part of defeating fret, is, is doing that. The key phrase here is wait patiently before the Lord and wait patiently for him. It's not all about you. You know, the world and the world doesn't see that. But what God wants to do through you is bigger than you individually. It's way bigger than just you. And, uh, and there's a Matt Chandler quote I want to I wanna throw up here. I, I came across this this week. And it says, the more you make your life about you, the more miserable of a human being you will be. And this fits in with the whole concept of fret and worry and doubt and never stopping to rest because I always got to do this and I always got to do that. If you have a self-centered mentality that gets upset when you don't get what you want and you take matters into your own hands, you're going to really need to hear this final part. This last, fifth, final element of the fret antidote is in direct correlation. And look at verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So you know the definition by now, right? I mean, we've, we've hammered this into the ground. Fret is choosing to allow the wickedness around you to gnaw away at your own soul. It's a choice, remember? I mean, we saw this in, in, verse, in verse 8, it says, fret not yourself. And in verse 7, it said, fret not yourself. Just like it said that back in the opening in verse 1. David says, don't allow it to happen. And he doesn't just leave you there. He says, you can't just turn it off and not replace it. You have to make all five of these choices uh, to drink the full antidote. You have to go, go for all five. And the rest of the chapter proves this point. 
the rest of the chapter gives perspective on it. But just look at verses 9 through 11 with me. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That's the perspective that you need to have if you're going to move past fret. If you want a chance at refraining from anger, you have to look at this full perspective. Because the truth is there are evil people out there. There are idiots out there. That there, there's just people out there that want to do you harm, and, and there's people that don't even know any better. It's, it's a very real threat to get irritated out there, 100%. It's an understatement, right? But it's so sad when Christians get this way, where we lose our compassion, we lose our love, and we just get angry. It's the poorest testimony you could ever have. When you get so fired up about a sinner being a sinner, doing what sinners do, that you forget that you were once a sinner saved by grace. And you would be in the exact same place if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God that intervened and saved you. We have to remember that. Look again at Psalm 37, 11. It says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Do you know who quoted that? Psalm 3711? Yeah, I know you've been in a few of these services in the Psalm series. Jesus quotes the Psalms all the time. In Matthew 5, 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opened up by quoting this. I want to read it for you uh, because it's just more revelation on the same thing that we're seeing here. This is Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 2. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So really, Psalm 37 is describing meekness. Did you see the connection there? Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So how does any of that fit into being ticked about the wickedness that is around you and trying to fix that and take those matters into your own hands? You cannot stay fired up and be filled with angst when you realize what Jesus did for you. You can't. Worship team, you can come up right here. So the Fred antidote is very simple, very clear, very plain, straightforward, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. It's, it's straight from Scripture. But is anyone thinking what I thought when I, when I was going over this list? I was like, wow, 
sounds so easy, but at the same time, it's so hard. Woo! A lot easier said than done. This is where I would say, again, go back and read the rest of this chapter. Because you're going to receive motivation. You're going to, again, you're going to see the Holy Spirit coming at it from all these different angles, proving his point. Describing the motivation and the inspiration for delighting in the Lord. But let's take a quick look here before we finish. Let's take a quick look at how he ends this. Verse 39. Turn back to Psalm 37 with me. Verse 39 and 40. This is what it says. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. You cannot do this on your own. There's just no way. To make a decision to replace fret is actually something that is completely and fully beyond your own ability in and of yourself. So where does the strength to do this come from? It comes from Him and only from Him. This is not something we can muster up with our own willpower. It's only going to happen through love and devotion for Jesus Christ. And that's where we're coming back to. If you don't know Jesus, it's literally impossible not to get fired up and, and raging with fret out there. Eventually, it's going to happen to you. And I know you don't like that. I know, I know there's a lot of things you can do to, to push it off. But do you see here uh, the fact that Jesus Christ changing your heart, showing you grace, is the only way you're going to truly be able to show grace to people who don't deserve it? None of us, none of us can pull this off. The, the, the most spiritual Christian in the world could never show the kind of love and forgiveness and grace and humility to someone who doesn't deserve it at all unless they've already experienced it from Jesus Christ. And we have to, as Christians in this room, we have to go back to that again and again and again. What did he do for me? How has he changed me? What is, what is his plan for me right now? Because when you focus on the gospel of the fact that I was lost, he came after me, he found me, he gave me a new life, a new mission, a new purpose, that's when you can actually defeat this fret once and for all. You have to have that. So how can you be filled with the Spirit? How can you fuel your affection for Jesus? For all of us who know Jesus in the room, how do we do that? I mean, there's some obvious answers, right? Read your Bible and pray. Take your relationship with Him serious. Start delighting in Him. But let's go one step further. How do you find the time to do that? How do you make that productive? Really? I would say just identify what enlivens you. What sparks you? And then also at the same time, identify what's distracting you from that too, right? Let's get really specific. These are going to be different for everyone. But I can tell you what, like reading the headlines on my phone distracts me. That doesn't help me. Uh, TV shows can take it out of me. Listening to worship music in the car, even though I don't have a very good voice, I can belt it out in the car sometimes. And, and that, that builds, it, builds me up. 
getting outdoors, listening to the birds in nature, hearing the calming sound of the flowing water outdoors. There are a lot of those things. It's, it's different for everyone. But identify what cultivates my delight in the Lord. And that's what you need to press into. Cut out the things that rob you of your joy in Jesus Christ. You, you may find it entertaining, but if it's not cultivating your delight in Jesus Christ, you need a lot less of that. And you need more of the stuff that draws you to him. Press into the things that stir your delight in Jesus. Let's stand up. We're going to sing a song, an old familiar song in response. I've loved the July acoustic sessions that we've had. Um, and this is just another song that's timeless. Christians have sung this song for centuries. And it still rings true to what we just saw in Psalm 37.